Welcome to Ghostman Radio Station. Tonight, my guest is Dr. James Granger. Who is he? He's an army veteran who is only discharged in 1988. He's born in Washington, D.C. Graduated Magga Laude from Howard University in 1992. He's a medical doctor, graduated from Mary Harry Medical College in 1997. He practiced obstetrics and Geno, gynecology, I might have said that right, <laughs> currently provides pain management, addiction treatment services at his office in Maitre, Georgia. He's an author of a book called We Have Got It All Wrong, Our Failed Sick Care System, which he's going to talk about in a minute. And he's the first person licensed pain clinic in Georgia to feature acupuncture as a means of treating pain. Additional services offers include bioidentical hormone therapy and medically assisted therapy for addiction. So, James, that's an interesting outlook. I mean, to, I mean, obviously, through your army training, you must have seen a lot of uh, practices. And do you think if you had been able to do, was you able to do acupuncture whilst you was in the army? being a doctor or did you have to wait until you left the army to practice that uh, I, I wasn't a physician while I was in the army I was in the infantry when I was in the army and oh, then sorry. went to college and then to, to medical school well it's a big step I, yeah and then I, I practiced uh, you know just traditional medicine obstetrics and gynecology for a number of years before I got away from that and number of things took me to practicing acupuncture in addition to traditional medicine. Now, a lot of people don't know the actual history behind acupuncture. Most people believe it was come from China, but as you were talking before we come on the podcast, you believe it predates the China as we know it today. Well, it, it's possible that it predates China. There was a... Uh, I forget the name, but it was a frozen ice man from thousands of years ago discovered in Italy, and he had some markings on his skin that were consistent with some acupuncture treatment. So that would have predated the 3,000 to 3,500 years of history of acupuncture in China. Um, so, you know, populations move. Um, so we can't really say 100% where it came from. Uh, but I certainly have no credit with giving uh, the, the Chinese credit for it at this point. But it, it could have come from elsewhere and come into China. Uh, just like martial arts, for example, uh, we really started in India, then moved to China. But if you say martial arts, people think Kung Fu in China first. But it actually came from India. And when you say acupuncture, could you just slightly explain... I mean, most people know it's like a needle that goes in your body, but they don't actually know what this needle may be doing. Okay, well, your body has energy channels flowing through it. Um, a lot of people will confuse the acupuncture channels and needles with nerve pathways. There's only about a 70% correlation between nerve pathways and acupuncture channels. And the acupuncture channels, I think of it as a subway system. You've got different subway lines flowing through the body, and you've got 
stops on the body. And if you stimulate certain stops on that subway system on certain lines, then the energy is going to move in uh, different paths. Um, so what you're doing is trying to stimulate the body to move energy in its natural harmonious path to treat disease, get rid of pain. Um, in my office, it's mostly for pain. Uh, I, I, and there's, um, like all alternative ther therapies, do you advise people you go to the doctor as well when they're doing your therapy? Um, yeah, but most of my patients have already exhausted all of their other means for what they're, they're being treated for. And it's, it's a blessing and a curse because I'm, I'm able to help a lot of people, but a lot of times I'm, you know, kind of secretly wishing that they had come to me sooner to avoid a lot of the, uh, pharmaceutical side effects, uh, you know, and sometimes surgery that maybe could have been avoided if they had had acupuncture first. And in your book, you state that you think the system, the American system, I presume, the medical system is in is breaking down as such. Well, yeah, it's been broke since its inception because it's really a sick care system where it's designed to treat you after you become sick rather than um, encourage good health habits like proper diet exercise and monitoring to prevent you from getting sick. The, the recent uh, COVID-19 outbreak is a great example of how failed the system is because We've completely, and I say we as a medical community, have ignored, um, you know, facts like COVID affects people with chronic and inflammatory illnesses like obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, more so than it does the general population. If our system had been set up to prevent those things in the first place, we probably wouldn't have the mortality that we do with COVID um, at, at this point. One thing I've looked at is if you look at the map of caloric intake and COVID mortality, the higher caloric intake, the worse the mortality is in a given population. And I think, as I mentioned in my book, there's a lot of uh, food additives, particularly in the American diet, more so than in the UK and Europe. Um, and I think that's why America was hit so hard with COVID is because we have so much processed food and have such an inflammatory diet that people's immune systems are compromised. Uh, I've just pulled your book up now. I, I, I find the idea very interesting because, I, I mean, obviously in the UK we're having, as you know, um, some queries about uh, we've had the successful jab um, campaign and vaccine campaign, but it's still a worry about the Variants, obviously, the uh, we're not allowed to call it the Indian variant now. We have to call it the Delta variant. So the Delta variant is becoming a bit of an issue, though. There's no data yet to back up the deaths or hospitalizations. I know we shouldn't judge it by that, but that's the remit that our government went into lockdown in the first place. Yeah. The COVID thing is, is complicated because it's, it really gets down to, you know, 
of course, I'm speaking a little bit more from the U.S. side, a numbers game. Um, you know, I look at the number of COVID cases and I look at the number of COVID deaths and it's, you know, about one to two percent. Um, but to hear all the stuff in the news media, you would think it was much more severe than that, um, which complicates it even further is what constitutes a COVID death. You know, if someone's in a car accident, goes to the emergency room and tests positive, um, there's people saying that that's been counted as a COVID death. And any patient that's labeled as having COVID, there's a financial incentive um, to the hospitals here in the U.S. Um, and then the vaccine's another story because it's really being, you know, pushed on people know to go get vaccinated even though it's still technically in its experimental stage what you know i tell most of my patients that it's a personal choice but what i want everybody to realize is that the clinical trial for the covid vaccines aren't even completed until 2023 so anybody that's getting a vaccine which arguably is a misnomer is participating in a clinical trial um so I don't think it should be mandatory to participate in a clinical trial. You know, if someone has obesity, high blood pressure, they're elderly and have a lot of risk factors, it may be in their best interest to do so. But for younger people who have a good health status, um, you know, the immune system, if you've got a proper diet, can fight it off. Um, I, I think the population-wise, it's overstated. You know, obviously, some people have lost some loved ones, and, and they don't want to hear that, but I'm speaking globally across the population. And the other thing is the emergency use authorization that these vaccines have. One of the stipulations there is that there has to be no other viable treatment. But from what I've been watching since COVID first came about, there hasn't been any sincere approach to look at uh you know, other options, you know, the hydroxychloroquine got a bad name with the Lancet article, but then that article was retracted, um, you know, and here in the U.S., you know, Fauci is the big name kind of guiding things, and now there's some questions about some things he said in his emails, and all I've heard him say from day one is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. There was, you know, no studies that I've seen as far as ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, simple things like vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, and those things which, you know, the side effects are, are very low um, compared to the potential for an unknown messenger RNA vaccine. Um, we've got to remember there's never been a messenger RNA vaccine before. Um, so it, it kind of scares me that so many people have had it without proper clinical trials being done. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm going to ask you the, the next question. You don't have to answer it um, if you don't want to. Um, now we have a, a slow intake here from the African community and the F, other ethnic communities. I'm trying to say it in a word that isn't. It's so hard now to say. <laughs> I'm trying to say so you're defensive. You know what I mean? Um, 
you're talking about vaccine hesitancy in some ethnic groups? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, a lot of that, you know, comes from his, some historical things. Here in the U.S., we had what was, or what is known as the Tuskegee experiments, where um, black men in the southern U.S. were knowingly given syphilis and not being treated. Um, that story is, is well known here in the U.S., um, you also have Pfizer, the company making one of the vaccines, had a medication called Trovan in the late 1990s, and there were some uh, lawsuits in regards to uh, experimental stuff they did in Nigeria um, with that company. Um, so th these are some stories that are known in you know ethnic communities, particularly uh, black and African communities that, you know, give people some hesitancy. Um, I, for one, have some hesitancy from that, but just the way the whole clinical trials or lack thereof have gone about. Yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up because it, it is an issue and there's lots of misunderstandings and myths and um, things, obviously, on the social media, which doesn't help with the situation. Because, like... Yes. I, I think when we don't understand things, we sort of automatically blame something when we don't really know what it's about. I think as humans, we're very good at that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just an easy cop-out. You know, I, 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 you know, that's my personal opinion. I think you've done it, done it. I've probably done it in my time. I'm not going to say I haven't. Yeah, not intentionally, but you say, oh, my God, why don't they want it then? But like you said, you don't, there's no um, compulsion as such. So if you don't wish to take it, fine. But I think, and you probably might agree with me here, that a lot of companies will start, especially with concerts and outside events and inside events, the insurance companies may say to the other companies, well, unless you either get better ventilation or they have had a vaccine or some sort, we're not going to, you will have to turn them away because otherwise you're going to put your premiums up. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of it too. And then you have, you know, here in the U.S. there's been a couple stories about hospitals requiring staff members to get vaccinated. Um, and those staff members suing the hospital. Um, you have airlines that are refusing to fly passengers who don't have proof of vaccination. Um, I, I just have, you know, issues with that. One, um, people have natural immunity, which I have yet to see any evidence that the vaccine is one, is better than natural immunity, or two, even prevents transmission. Um, all I've seen is that the vaccine, um, and again, I use the word vaccine uh, loosely, just lowers symptoms. It doesn't prevent you from getting it. And I've seen a number of posts, again, this is social media, where people have gotten vaccinated and then had COVID shortly, shortly after. Um, so me personally, I'm you know, I look at it like this. I have an immune system. It works. Um, I'm part of the control group. If someone else wants to take the vaccine for whatever reason, you know, 
know, health concerns or just concerns in general. That's certainly their prerogative. I just want them to know that they are, in fact, participating in a clinical trial. Um, the caveat to all that is, though, when you vaccinate everybody and don't designate a control group, that's a very poor study being done. So any data we get in 2023 from this clinical trial that many of us are participating in is going to be skewed because where's your control group if you vaccinate everybody? Um, and if they do it with this vaccine, then what happens in the future? What happens when they say, oh, this doesn't work. Now you need booster shots. Who does that benefit? Um, the vaccine manufacturers. Um, so I'm, I'm very skeptical of, of the whole thing. And, you know, when people advocate Vaccinating someone who's already had COVID, that just makes zero sense medically. If they've already had it and survived, they're immune to it. Um, I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. That's just basic immunology. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I, I seem to think that I, when there was measles about, if you had measles as a kid, you don't really tend to get it as an adult. I mean, there's some things like, you know, if you have the um, chicken pox and then shingles pops up later in life, you know, that type of thing happens. But, um, you know, if the vaccine does what they truly say it does, um, you, you shouldn't need boosters. But, you know, not even six months into this, they're saying, oh, we're going to need boosters. Um, that tells me that they knew it really wasn't working from the start. And I haven't seen any evidence that it prevents transmission, you know, or illness that marginally relieves some symptoms at best. And I've seen a number of people who had their first or second shot and had COVID symptoms from the shot. So I don't understand the point in that, particularly if you've already had it and recovered. Well, you've got a very good website, Mr. James. Uh I like the way you've put your pain-free without pills, which is your trademark. Yes, sir. I know how much trademarks cost because they're not cheap. <laughs> but I like the fact you do, uh, I'll quote from you, acupuncture treatment, addiction treatment, which is very important, pain treat management and injury treatment. I mean, most people will probably think, well, addiction treatment? How's that going to work? Because obviously we're so used to that most, the most common way of coming off drugs is normally going to a clinic, getting yourself clean, uh, probably going on method, methadone. Uh, yes. Yeah, for a short while. And 90, 80, well, 70% people do work, but then you've got the pressures of going back to the society and then it goes hogwash or working. So how better is the acupuncture for addiction? Well, I wouldn't say acupuncture is better for addiction. It's, it's just a different modality. In my office, what I use for addiction mostly is buprenorphine. Uh, people may be familiar with the, the pharmaceutical name Suboxone. And it works as a... Uh, opiate substitute similar to methadone. Um, however, it's a lot safer than methadone. It doesn't require you to go 
to a methadone clinic every day. Um, I have some issues with methadone clinics um, here in the U.S. Um, one, they don't report to our prescription database, which leads to drug diversion. Uh, two, I've seen a number of them that they will increase the patient's methadone dose so rapidly that the length of time they're going to spend in that clinic is going to be years, where with Suboxone, you know, if they're in a place where they're a medical candidate for it, they can get started with Suboxone or Buprenorphine on a lower dose comparatively to the methadone, and we can wean them down in the foreseeable future. But some of these clinics will unscrupulously increase their methadone dose so high that they're not a candidate for Suboxone. Um, the other thing you mentioned, people going into, you know, like a, an inpatient drug rehab, and there's a danger in that, is that, say, for example, uh, someone who has an addiction problem will go into, you know, a weekend detox, they'll be treated medically, their body then becomes opiate naive. So it's like they've never taken an opiate before. But if that person relapses, shortly thereafter, and they take the same dose that they remember taking before, then you have an overdose and possibly death. So the issue I have with a lot of the so-called detox facilities is they don't provide any aftercare. Um, I tell my patients when they come in, the, the buprenorphine or suboxone is 10 to 20 percent of the treatment. The majority of the treatment is the counseling and the psychological aspects. Um, that teach people to identify triggers, um, coping skills, um, getting new uh, life things in, in order, you know, whether it be financial, social, whether there's, you know, some family history, domestic violence, all those things need to be addressed and simply going into a detox facility for a weekend and coming out just doesn't really cut it for me as, as far as successful treatment. You know, there are some people who have been in and out of those facilities for a number of times and they don't realize that they've never had treatment because they, the psychosocial aspects were never addressed. And obviously pain management, because as we said before, it's been known to help you with pain for a long, long time. And it I think it took us a little while in the West to be a bit more open to alternative theories. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Um, well, from my perspective here, and I can't speak to the UK, but here in the US, it, it, it's moving at a snail's pace. For example, chiropractors are just now really kind of getting mainstream here in the US, and to some degree, they're still not. Insurance companies will limit the number of chiropractic visits you can have. Um, if they pay for chiropractic at all, and with acupuncture, it's even worse. Um, and then as far as our government insurance, our Medicare system, um, they will only pay for acupuncture for low back pain and only 10 visits a year, um, which, yes, you can help some people, but not nearly as many people as you could help um, if they opened it up to pain management across the board. So we've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of work to do to, to get things on par. You know, I tell people all the time, no one's ever overdosed from acupuncture. Um, 
but these same insurance companies will let me prescribe an opiate but won't pay for acupuncture. Um, it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that doesn't benefit anybody other than the pharmaceutical company making the opiates. Now, you've got some very interesting articles on your blog. I've only just looked at some of them. And I, I, I like the way you've been very descriptive. Obviously, you've done the medical names as well. But you haven't overdone it. You haven't sort of gone too medical, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've done a bit. But you put it as plainly and as understandable for someone like me as a layman can understand it. Yeah, I, I, I make an effort, and, you know, unfortunately, medical school kind of indoctrinates us into using certain verbiage, and I, I think that's something that the medical community as a whole needs to work on, um, because it, it prevents us from truly communicating with patients when we're speaking Dr. E's <laughs> rather than just plain English uh, to people. Well, it, it, it does help. I mean, if you're in a consultant, having a consultant talking to you, and it goes over your head, you're thinking, "Well, I don't understand the word you said." But if you said, "Oh, this is what this means, and this is what that means," but you've gone, "Oh, fair enough." But when they say, like you say, the Doctor D's bit, and you're thinking, oh, "I don't understand what word he said," and of course, you do the dreaded thing that nobody should do: Doctor Google, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Google is a, is a blessing and a curse uh, because he'll a lot of times contradict what you say, at least in the patient's mind. Um, but at the same time, if somebody goes to Dr. Google, Dr. Google's not going to treat or cure their condition. So a lot of times Dr. Google will get somebody into your office that otherwise wouldn't have come in. Um, so it's, it's a blessing and, and, and a curse. I see you do some services as a free con, uh, offer free consultation consultation. Oh, got that one out. <laughs> yeah, with our hormone therapy, um, because some lab work is required up front, and you know, here in the U.S., you have to pay for all your services. Um, so we do that initial consultation free. Um, when somebody comes in. For their acupuncture, when they, they buy their first, because we're selling them mostly in, in cash packages for a number of visits, you know, we give them that first visit free um, when they buy that initial package. So if you buy a package of five visits, you get six. You buy a package of 10, you get 11. You know, to give people some incentive to do some things other than, than opiates to, to treat their pain. And obviously, during this COVID situation, I don't know, what it's like where you are. How have you coped with the, have you been doing mostly Zoom? And I presume you're hoping soon, because what they talk from your president is that hopefully things are getting back to normal. Well, here in the U.S., it's really uh, hodgepodge because different, you know, having 50 states, each state has a different set of rules. Um, you know, I have family members in Maryland. I have friends in Tennessee. 
um, friends in Illinois, you know, people all over the country, and the rules are different wherever you go. Um, and even just here in this county I live in, in Georgia, one store, you have to have a mask coming in. Another store doesn't care. Um, that type of thing. Um, initially, when COVID first started, we did a lot of a telemedicine and weren't able to do a good deal of acupuncture. But as time went on, we've kind of gotten as back to normal as we can be. You know, we still wear masks in the office. Um, take people's temperature coming through the door. Um, limit the number of people in the waiting room. But other than that, for the past several months, it's it's been pretty much back to normal for us, so to speak. Now, inside the hospitals, I don't do any work inside the hospital. Um, I think they're pretty much still kind of on a lockdown, so to speak, although they have started doing elective surgeries, which uh, a lot of people have been in a bad place because their elective surgeries were either delayed or postponed, um, rescheduled, what have you, um, which can be you know, a, a bad thing. You know, somebody's waiting to get treated for a heart condition or they need a knee replacement, you know, those type of things have been put on the back burner um, with all the, the COVID going on. Yeah, yeah, we've had, got the same problem here. Um, you, uh, the national health system, the, it's a backlog now of all the operations, but obviously the government isn't in a priority thinking, do we prioritise COVID? Or do we go on, hopefully, and this is my uh, 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 own opinion, I think we have to just live with it. I think sometimes it'd be, sometimes it'd be worse than others. But I, I just think for now on, we've got to just adjust in our own way. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, yeah, pretty much. And like I, I said earlier, I, I think the, mortality is, is overstated, you know, as I look at things. Um, of course, that doesn't sit well with anybody who's lost a family member to COVID, but when you're looking at the population as a whole, I think what we really need to imp implement are looking at some things, you know, to prevent the comorbidities um, that increase your chance of death from COVID. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, the proper diet and exercise, getting the blood pressure, the diabetes, and those type of things under control and, ide and ideally prevented. Um, but, you know, with the, the vaccine campaign being what it is, trying to get uh, any money into studies behind those type of things and, you know, other modalities that have been ignored, it's going to be a hard fight. You know, I've mentioned since COVID first started, you know, in China, 90% of their COVID patients were being treated with Western as well as traditional Chinese herbal medicine. But I have yet to see any mainstream media outlets here in the U.S. even mention that. So you're really comparing, you know, apples to oranges when you look at our treatments here in the U.S. compared to China, uh, because they've got a whole other set of treatments that their uh, patients are getting. And what is really interesting is when you look at the herbs the Chinese were using, most of them were geared towards the cardiovascular system. And then months later, 
here in the U.S. that doctors are coming out saying, oh, we thought it was a respiratory illness, but it turns out it was really a cardiovascular thing. That's why we have all these blood clots. And I look back at what I had known six months earlier with the Chinese and their herbs geared towards the cardiovascular system and blood and preventing blood clots, kind of like, well, if you had looked at China, you would have known that six months prior. Um, so there's you know, a lot of politics and information that isn't out there, and you really have to be diligent about looking at the, a number of sources and think globally. Um, the unanswered question that nobody really wants to address, what I mentioned earlier, is why was the U.S. hit so hard compared to other countries? And my answer is because our diet is terrible. It's high calories, high processed food, very inflammatory. And that's what, you know, COVID is when it's at its worst. It's an inflammatory condition. Please mention, James, where people can find your book and your websites? Um, the book, we have got it all wrong. Our failed sick care system can be found on Amazon and fastpencil.com. And the website for my office is acupunctureandinjury.com. And what did you, did you self-publish or did you go via a publication company? I, I self-publish and I'm actually uh, in the process of getting a second edition together because when I originally published the book, I wasn't uh, practicing acupuncture because the original book, the book was originally published in 2012. So I wasn't practicing acupuncture back then. And, you know, also obviously COVID is a big health concern. So I've got some chapters to add um, with COVID and acupuncture as well as functional medicine and kind of elaborate on some things I talked about well, almost 10 years ago. Um, you know, just to expand on some points I made um, to kind of validate them some more, if you will. Well, I've, I think we've had a very interesting chat, James. Uh, do you think yes, we've sir. covered more or less what you wanted to cover? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, right. So, uh, James, I always ask uh, my guests the following question. James, what is your unique sign-off? sign-off. Uh, I don't really have a unique sign-off because if I said live long and prosper, I would be stealing that from Mr. Spock. So I guess that would be my unique thing is to steal from Mr. Spock. That's okay. I don't think he's, I don't think he's trademarked that, so I guess I can use that. <laughs> well, I, I think it'd be a bit hard because it's a bit out there at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Mine to you is the following. Today I talked to Dr. James Granger, who was an army veteran and now a doctor of practicing medicine. He, he believe, is a strong believer in acupuncture and how it can help you with uh, your pain issues, addiction issues, and lots of other things in life. We had an interesting chat about the system and how it could be better. And that ties in with his book. We have got it all wrong. Our failed sick care system. And he is going to up, re, up, update this edition at some further date. Which will be interesting. 
and uh, he'll probably add some more on what we talked about today. So I think we can leave this with one word that from Mr. J- Dr. James's own website, which is his own trademark, which is pain-free about pills. Well, that's all I've got to say.